From Konigstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, and the orange curtain is descended across the Ojai Valley. This is the Ojai Talk of the Town. Hi everyone, Brett Bradigan here, editor of Ojai's Magazines, the quarterly and monthly. With the ballots mostly received and the recall election coming up September 14th, I reached out to an old friend, Josh Golke, deputy opinion editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, who has been following and writing about the recall since even before the pandemic. With a lot on the line, not just the governor's office, but potential control of the United States Senate, it seemed an important time to reach out to Josh for his take on the recall election, how this came to be, and even a few history lessons about California politics along the way. Hey, Josh. Hey, Brett. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. So the recall is coming up here uh, in ballot. They're in uh, uh, September 14th in-person voting, but uh, everybody's got their mail in ballots. A lot of people right. haven't sent them in yet, so I'm just trying to get a handle on this. It's so, so much being flung out there, it's hard to tell, you know, what is really going on. And who better than the deputy opinion editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, which is sort of in the, in the uh, center of it all. Yeah, um, I was the deputy opinion editor until a uh, few days ago. I'm briefly between jobs about to start with another news organization in a few weeks. Um, so I, I have written quite a bit about the recall and I'm not surprised if, uh, if anyone's confused about it. It's, it's not the most, uh, not the most uh, cut and dried process any voter has ever encountered. Yeah, it does seem like the recall and uh, ballot propositions and everything else in California has just gotten more and more complex. And so many special interests out there pushing these ballot measures and hiring signature gatherers. And you can't go by a supermarket without encountering someone these days. But let's I definitely want to talk about where these reforms came from in the progressive era. But for more approximately you know, what, what is the, the situation here? Um, you know, what's, what's this September 14th date and what's the mail-in process? And what are deadlines and process and all that? Right. Um, well, September 14th is the official date of the recall election. Uh, Newsom and his allies kind of, uh, took pains to speed it up thinking that, uh, if, if they could uh, do it in short order, um, that would be good for him. Uh, once once the election got enough signatures that it was going to have to go on the ballot. So that's how we ended up with that weird date of September 14th. Um, his polls were pretty good at the time when they were trying to advance the date to September 14th, although lately polls have shown that the election is is pretty close. Um, as far as the ballot, uh, people will, most people, as you said, have their ballots now. Most all registered voters were supposed to receive a mail-in ballot. Um, so 
you know, you can vote now, you can vote through September 14th, and the, the state has pretty pretty liberal laws as far as, you know, how, how late the counting will go. And um, so it'll probably take, a, you know, it'll easily take days after September 14th to figure yeah, out. As long as you got the postmark on it by September 14th, they'll accept your ballots. Is that, that was my Exactly. Or, or dropped it in a box by then. Yeah. And, and even I think a few days after they, um, you're, you're often okay as far as, you know, if they arrive a few days after the election date. Um, the ballot is, is a strange one. Uh, the first question is, uh, yes or no to recalling Gavin Newsom. Um, yes is you do want him recalled and removed from office. No is you don't. You want him to remain in office and finish the uh, mere 16 months left in his elected term uh, to which he was decisively elected and back yeah, in uh, 65% or something. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, one of the uh, candidates on the uh, second part of the ballot, uh, John Cox is the guy who who lost, uh, was was politically massacred by, by Newsom. Yeah, but now he's got uh, a bear. 20. Now he's campaigning with a bear. So I think that changes the dynamic. I'm not yeah. sure exactly what what that is. I mean, uh, raises <laughs> visibility, but also is it an implicit threat to people who don't vote for him that he has a bear? <laughs> Um, my favorite part about the bear was that, uh, he, he, when he, when he started going out with this, you know, campaigning with this, this giant, uh, Kodiak, uh, bear, uh, one of the first, uh, not a California said, bear either. This <laughs> yeah. bear is imported. This bear is, yeah. I don't know if he's a, he's an alien of some kind, resident alien. I don't know where his paperwork is. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I, I Importing bears. <laughs> I think he's Californian insofar as he's a Hollywood bear. The bear has some kind of like show business history, so which which you know will, will might appeal to some of your. Uh, I don't know. Another one I know it's kind is of he a trying to cross young. cross ticket uh, with a, some Hollywood liberal bear. Is he trying <laughs> yeah. to trying to appeal to both sides of the aisle there? Is that a play for <laughs> exactly. liberal exactly. support? Get this Hollywood bear. Yeah, probably probably uh, has dinner parties with uh, Warren Beatty and and uh, you know who are the other uh, QAnon targets there? Tom Hanks. Yeah, I mean this yeah. bear is probably yeah. part. Of, I would I would warn QAnon people. Watch out for these Hollywood bears. It's a stalking horse, not a bear. Stalking <laughs> bear. Yeah. Shortly after he came out with this, you know, thousand pound uh, animal, he. He started. Uh, he he complained that the press had had focused on the animal and spent you know all the coverage was about the animal. So uh, that was one of the most entertaining parts of that chapter. But there must have been some yeah. tongue and tongue and cheekness there. Yeah, I don't uh, think he was earnest about was his complaints. Actually, not intentionally, but um, yeah. So the second part of the ballot has. John Cox and 45 other candidates. Yeah, including uh, Kevin Faulkner, who I think mm -hmm. even before the recall said he was going to run for governor. He's got some experience, right? He was like the mayor of San Diego or something. I forget. Yeah, even in 2018, uh, maybe even earlier, you know, Faulkner was kind of thought of as the next, uh, you know, 
Republican establishment, Republican hope for the state. He, he's been, you know, he was the mayor of San Diego uh, until pretty recently. And he's so, I mean, more than any of the other candidates in the race, he has this sort of establishment Republican uh, sort of profile. And he has very relevant experience, unlike most of the other candidates. And um, yeah, he, he's been kicking around for a while. And uh, people were wondering if he was going to get into the race in 2018. So he and he's been angling for uh, in this replacement field and the recall um, yeah. for, for quite some time. He, he declared very early on. And um, and whoever emerges, if if a majority, a simple majority votes yes on the recall, then whoever emerges from this kind of free for all in the second part of the ballot with the mo- with the most votes, uh, which could potentially be a pretty small plurality, judging a by very the small. Right. Aren't they thinking uh, the, the head is uh, ahead is Larry Elder, the radio talk show host, every conservative's one black friend, he is polling around 20%. Is that right? Yeah, he's ranged in the, the polls I've seen from about 10 to maybe close to 30% at most. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he, could, he could win with that little um even if and this is like what do we what is the turnout projections like how many people are we expecting to cast votes how many there's like i don't even know how many 22 or 23 million registered voters in california maybe more i don't know i should know but i don't the the turnout in um 2018 worked out to uh it was it was pretty high um, one of the higher uh, turnouts. Midterm since, turnouts. Yeah, yeah, because it was a big midterm election nationally. Um, the recall needed about 1.5 million signatures to qualify for the ballot. And that's, uh, and that's 18%, 12%. 12%. 12% of the electorate um in 2018 so, so wait let's do the math on that that's uh eight uh whatever that would be almost 10 million somewhat shy of 10 million so you're we're expecting something like that 10 million or so voters well well that's really hard to say you know it's it's a it's a strange time to have an election it's a strange election there's a lot of energy on sort of the Republican and anti side. They're fired up. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I think the turnout on that side is going to be higher than it was in 2018. I think yeah. that's the challenge. Um, and we don't really know. Probably, I mean, there's like so many, so many, you know, just punch a hole in the screen voters yeah. out there that wouldn't yeah. bother voting in just a normal election. But they see this as a chance to really stick it to the man or however they frame it. Yeah, on the other hand, Demo- there's hardly, there's very little energy on the Democratic side, and Democrats are very worried that that their base isn't going to come out because, you know, they're not really excited about the idea of removing from Gavin Newsom from office. So there's a lot of, you know, most of the, you know, most of the 
election hinges on that, whether Democrats will be able to succeed in getting their people out to the polls and, and voting. Yeah, well, I think there's some sense of urgency when you realize that uh, control of the U.S. Senate is so precarious with, you know, split evenly with Kamala Harris as the deciding vote. And we look to our own state here, who's one of our senators in the house. She's, you know, San Francisco lady. What's her uh, situation now? Do you know? Diane, Diane Feinstein is 80 something, 88. Yeah, she's the, I believe the oldest uh, sitting senator. Um, Since Strom Thurmond. <laughs> former uh, San Francisco mayor, uh, much like Gavin Newsom himself. Um, and yeah, that's gotten a lot of attention in sort of, uh, you know, political operative circles that, hey, um, you know, um, if anything happens uh, to, to, to either of our senators. Yeah, she pulls uh, a Ginsburg. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, then and, and we have a Republican governor that will uh, that will immediately change control of the Senate. Um, so I imagine that is a big talking point on the Republican side. So I know there's a lot of money floating around in this election. Do you have any figures? I know just for the state, it's over 40 million to host the election. But the campaign's uh, going on both sides. Yeah, the actual cost of the election has been budgeted at $276 million. Oh, my God, I was way off. Hold, yeah, to hold a statewide election, um, which, you know, is a fair amount of money that you could do other things with. It's not a huge amount of money in the context of California's budget, but um, it's still still a lot of money. Um, yeah. uh, you might be thinking of the fundraising, which... I think Newsom is around, I, I think the total is around, the total fundraising for this campaign is around $60 million, uh, right now, I believe. Uh, the lion's share of it has gone to Newsom, um, be, partly because he's... Um, He's in. He's not a candidate per se. He's an incumbent, so he's not bound by a lot of contribution limits. And he's all, always been, you know, very well funded by kind of big donors, special interests, and so forth. So he's 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 gotten most of the money here. And, and you have to think that if he survives the recall, he'll be in you know really good position for the regular election, which is next year, uh, partly because of that. Um, the, the Republican fundraising is, you know, far less. I mean, I think it's about a, a tenth of, uh, of what news. Oh, really? I thought yeah. that they would yeah. have really got uh, 46 candidates out there. At yeah. least three of them are serious candidates or two of them anyway. Yeah. The, the biggest, just, uh, uh, you know, the, the RNC and all the mm -hmm. fundraising apparatus would swing into action because it's a high stakes election. It is. Um, and, and the fundraising on the Republican side is, is pretty underwhelming in that light. I, I mean, I think the biggest single donation has come from John Cox himself to his own campaign. Uh, he's spent far more than just about anybody on the election. And he's uh, polling like third or something in the on the other side of the question, right? The, of I the 46? 
I think second or third. Yeah, I think second in most of the polls I've seen. Um, but, you know, after Larry Elder, it drops off really quickly. And you're talking about, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, five, five ten points uh, for for the other candidates who have a, a pulse. Um, so it's you know, and and it's it's not a whole lot of money they're getting. It's like you know, a few million each among you know the top um, yeah top candidates. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. I see this. Uh moment in our cultural history is being very indicative of uh, like uh, developing my theory of the two strains of nihilism that are at play in our body politic and i talked about that with you briefly before that there's one strain of nihilism that you could see focused with like uh, january 6th riots and the proud boys and the three percenters and just tear it up burn it all down just Mm. And then on the other side, you've got the, what the hell? I just give up. It's too complicated. I can't figure it out. What does it mean anyway? I can't do anything about it. Just resignation, you know, a hint of despair. And those two strains of nihilism really work towards authoritarianism, as as I'm seeing it play out with what they will actually want, what they'll end up with and what they want. You know, people want a strong man, the boot heel of, fascism they they feel that's what it takes to whip everything into shape and i just see those forces at play here in california like Mm -hmm. where you would expect people to be a little more open and empathetic and and conscientious and uh wow what's your take yeah i think i think there's a lot of truth to what you said i i you know, there are a lot of parallels between what's happening here and what's happen, happening nationally. I mean, obviously, California is a very heavily democratic, liberal-leaning state, but it has, you know, 40 million people, and there's millions and millions of people who live in conservative places and like kernville kernville california (laughs) on the mighty kern river (laughs) our old stomping just so people know that josh and i worked together in kernville back in the 90s he was the managing editor when i was publishing the paper and that was a strange community but uh, i always felt bad like i probably like held your career back for that but i thought at least you'll have the you know resume credential for having put in a couple years and that Oh, backwater no, I mean, town where you could do whatever you wanted to do you know no it was it was a great experience um journalistically speaking um you know as i mean as as uh, i think uh donald trump said of of uh, uh obama and biden that you know brett kind of picked me up off the trash heap i, I wouldn't be anywhere without that job you know that was I doubt that <laughs> You went to Stanford after all. My God, you're like, <laughs> well, yeah, way overeducated. <laughs> yeah, be working I, in I, Kernville. I, I I didn't have any other journalism prospects at the time, so um, uh, it was a great start, a great head start uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it was either but, that or employee number three at Google or something. Yeah, and it beat the heck out of like you know uh, paying you know, $30,000 to go to journalism school. You know, I was, 
I was paid at least half that to <laughs> the, the Cardinale Suns. So. At least half. Uh, yeah, My goodness. But the perks, like, all the potlucks you go to. And... up uh, out of that deal. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, there is this really, uh, th there is this strain of sort of conservative nihilism where, you know, if you look at how this recall started, it is a very sort yeah, of. Yeah. Just to wind back a little bit. Yeah. It was, there were three or four different recall attempts before the pandemic. I think all there, of them would have failed. This one yeah. would have never got to signatures were it not for a few factors. One being the pandemic and two being this like five month signature gathering extension that yep. some judge gave them. What yeah. was up with that? Yeah, um, you're right that, you know, that 12% threshold for a recall is is just about the lowest in the country. Um, so Cal it's easier to recall a, uh, an official in California than anywhere else. So you have this sort of low level, like recall background noise pretty much constantly in the state and there were six recall attempts against newsom i think the first one was like a couple months after he was sworn in yeah um, and but it, even if you look at you know jerry brown uh arnold schwarzenegger every governor had has had a few recall attempts um and and most of them of course don't don't get to the point of of making the ballot, but, but there are constant efforts to recall governors and all kinds of other, uh, officials, um, partly because it's, it's, it's really pretty easy, um, relatively speaking. So what happened, um, Newsom had the misfortune of, um, having the, one of those attempts, I think it was the fifth of six, um, uh, they went, it was unfolding, it, it was filed just before the pandemic, uh, just before the lockdowns and so forth, um, which are often cited as the rationale, but it actually started a little bit before that. Um, and the signature gathering was unfolding during the lockdowns. And they, um, at some point, the recall organizers went to uh, a judge and said that, you know, the, the pandemic was making it especially difficult to gather signatures, which is probably true. But um, the judge yeah, I believe at that point, uh, with their deadline approaching to get the signatures, I think it's what, 60 or 90 days or something they have. He, they, they were at about half million. So they weren't even a third of the way to their goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the judge gave them an extension of about three months, I believe, which was, to, yeah, just completely, you know, was, was, um, pivotal in the, in this whole thing. Um, yeah, that was, and, that was pivotal. And then there was another, uh, occurrence at, uh, that we can talk about with the, uh, the maskless, uh, uh, oh, the right, French, right. the French laundry, yeah. which people don't yeah. know. I've never yeah. been. I want to go. I had a friend who went, said it's far and away the best meal he's ever had. You know, it's like Thomas Keller cooks up 25 or 30 small plates and you just uh -huh. sit down and strap on your feed bag and get, 
the most delicious food that's ever been prepared or among it's got three michelin stars like i'm I'm sure it's great i'm sure it's great yeah yeah Yeah. the governor you know a lot of what fuels the sort of recall fervor is this sort of right-wing angst over pandemic precautions and masks and uh later vaccines and you can't tell me what to do yeah and uh and Newsom was uh, caught in this uh, compromising position of being at a lobbyist uh, friend's birthday party at the French Laundry, which is a fancy uh, wine country restaurant. And uh, and uh, it was a fairly big gathering. I don't think it technically it, it was technically an outdoor dining thing. It may have been technically in compliance with the state guidelines, but it it looked uh, really optics bad. were horrible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, and wow, so that, that was like that somebody at that event. Yeah, somebody, well. some yeah. some staff member, somebody tweeted out that photo, and it just was couldn't have been worse timing as far as the the pandemic precautions and the recall and everything else, because at that point, California was getting a lot of credit for its handling Newsom's handling of the pandemic and the, and the shutdowns and the gradual reopening and everything seemed to be data driven and very cautious and follow the science. And then all it takes is one little slip like that. And that's all, you know, if the recall succeeds, that's probably going to be decisive. Yeah, that was a big event. It was a mess. Um, you know, the thing that has always kind of amazed me is that from my perspective, you know, I'm in the Bay Area, which has been very conservative, small C or or not politically conservative, but but conscientiously conservative. conservative. Yeah, yeah. yeah, about um, about precautions. And, and in fact, Newsom is kind of like, followed the bay area on most of most of the precautions he's instituted um and in a lot of cases i think you know sort of lifted things a little too quickly and and right before these uh surges happened um he he was under a lot of pressure to loosen things up and he he did that repeatedly kind of changed his own rules and was kind of inconsistent about it so I mean, if, you know, from my perspective, if I were going to criticize his pandemic management, you know, it would be on that basis that he could have been a little more consistent and courageous about it. Yeah, um, steadfast. And, and yeah. And on some of the, you know, he did have some logistical issues with um, with the vaccine rollout and, and with testing and so forth. But yeah, on the whole, you know, better than than average, and in the context of a complete, you know, national catastrophe of of handling this thing, um, at least under Trump. Um, but you know, that the irony to me is, you know, the 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 recall uh, organizers and the replacement, the leading replacement candidates' prescription for this is. We shouldn't have any of this, you know, we shouldn't have any lockdowns, we shouldn't have masks, you shouldn't have to get a vaccine for for anything. And, you know, so it's like, you know, you have to, you have to. California is way down the list of, of, you know, cases and 
and deaths Definitely and everything above, else above the national average there was yeah, so some, just on the metrics it, yeah you know he did about yeah. as good as you could expect for his wild and woolly estate as california there's like so many different i think you that's know true. Yeah. communities here did, like i think he did pretty well in the context of a state like this that's very crowded and had a lot of vulnerabilities um you know i think i think he did pretty well and and the idea that you know that uh the right criticism is that you know he shouldn't have done anything is is just kind of preposterous i don't i don't think i don't think the majority of people in this state if they realized what you know what the what's the uh, alternative yeah it, it's not something i don't think most people uh in california would go in for and yet it's very likely that not very likely but it's a non-zero probability that an anti-mask, anti-vaxxer could end up our governor and change the replace Diane Feinstein if she's uh, if something happens to her, if she goes Ruth Bader Ginsburg on us, that we could tip the balance of the Senate. Like I or, astounded, or as, that, as I heard our, our junior senator Alex Padilla say on the radio the other day, if Alex Padilla walks in front of a bus, you know, it could be it could be it could be know, him too. We don't know. Senator, yeah. but just to be delicate about it, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's no the the election. I mean, partly because it's such a weird election that basically asks people to. Judge Newsom against himself. You know, it's basically yeah, do exactly. you like this? Yeah, that's or not? was the point you made in one of your editorials. I was yeah, I, thought, I hadn't um, thought about that angle, but that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, you often you'll hear politicians say about their polling, like, "Oh, yeah, well, that's my approval rating," but wait until they see who I'm running against, and and it's true that polls completely change between often between, you know, a, a, an official's approval rating and an official's, you know, performance against another candidate, because it's it's much easier to say, I don't like this guy than it is to say, I like well, this, this guy other better. guy better. Yeah. So, or I like this um, other guy less, like yeah, him slightly, I hate, hate them both, but one I have slightly yeah. less disdain for exactly um and most you know most politicians don't have to face a test like this so it's a only it's the fourth a, recalls election in in yeah. the country i've heard second of in governor california right. yeah. but scott walker survived one in 2006 mm -hmm. or something i don't remember mm -hmm. 2008 and then i don't remember what the fourth one was so where that was it was, it was some, it was a long time ago. That's all I remember. I don't remember what state it was, but yeah, these have been exceedingly well, rare. Voter see uh, Heffengraf, governor of <laughs> 1894. Right? Did you make I have up? no idea. I just <laughs> made that. Um, don't be putting that yeah, in the. It, don't be using that in one of your editorials, please. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll check that before. I, I think it was actually um, Frank N. Sternberg is the one who got blown up in Idaho in 1906. If people haven't checked out this book, J. Anthony Lucas book came out in the 90s called Big Trouble mm -hmm. about this bombing of 1906 Idaho governor. How everyone who was anyone was part of that, 
And he uses that as a lens to the contemporary landscape of America at that time. Fascinating mm -hmm. book. Like Ethel Barrymore was one of the participants or one of the, you know, all every day. Walter Johnson was just, his baseball career was just getting going and playing minor leagues in that area of Western Oregon and Eastern Idaho. And, and uh, I mean, everybody, the Elks Lodge, but Clarence Darrow and Big Bill Haywood was the one, they were trying to pin it on Big Bill Haywood, mm -hmm. uh, the Wobblies, and the, supposedly the conspiracy came through. The working, the will, what do they call them? The working, the workers of the world. Or, what was Industrial WWA? workers of the world, the IWW. Is that what it was? IWW, so. the Wobblies, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, that was like an interesting is, times. Uh, yeah. National it's focus a, like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty unusual. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of color that goes along with this. And to bring up, to keep in that, that historical track, that's when the progressive movement was really getting its legs underneath it, right there yeah. towards the end of the 19th century, McClure's Magazine, Ida Tarbell, mm -hmm. or, um, yeah, Ida B. Wells, you know, this, mm -hmm. the fascinating story about Ida B. Wells, this black lady who got kicked off a train in Memphis, Tennessee, and just like went on a rampage and became one of the greatest journalists this country's ever produced. I think that's fair to say. Ida Tarbell's father yeah. got ran out of business by John D. Rockefeller in his rapacious stage there in oil fields in western Idaho or uh, western Pennsylvania. And then wrote this amazing series of articles that just exposed the nefarious business practices of these trusts mm -hmm. and how uh, we needed to get these reforms underway, which also caught fire. And uh, what do you know about Hiram Johnson? Because I really don't know much about him except as governor and progressive party candidate. How did, uh, you know, he, he was the prime shaker and mover for progressive interests in not just California, but, you know, across the country. Yeah, we kind of owe this whole pleasure to, to him. Um, he, he was a pretty uh, uh, angry uh, sort of guy, um, uh, one of these fiery uh, populist uh, sort of reformers uh, of that period, the early 20th century. And uh, shortly after he was sworn in, I, I think in his inaugural speech, he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to institute initiatives and referenda and recalls. And he put uh, a constitutional amendment before the legislature and the voters and um, got it passed, which is, I mean, really getting stuff done. He pretty quickly changed the whole uh, you know, political uh, process in California, you know, to this day, uh, we're still yeah. uh, constantly dealing with the repercussions of, of this, not just recalls, but um, initiatives and referenda. I mean, as any vote, voter knows, pretty much any, uh, any ballot you look at has, uh, you know, some collection of uh policy issues that you have to vote on um yeah including like know, in the last to, one we we're yeah thanks to all the energy that went in 
right and mm-hmm. had such great uh, need. It was the state was run by the railroads and uh, yeah, power I, you know, I mean, he had very you know the the progressives obviously had very uh, good reasons for doing uh, for for you know to to be upset about uh, the influence of special interests. You know whether this was the the best way to deal with it. I don't I don't think it turned out exactly how Hiram Johnson envisioned it. You know it doesn't turn out uh, initiatives and referenda and recalls are in a lot of ways sort of being pushed by. Uh, various special interests and 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 sort of niche uh, constituencies rather than you know he he Hiram Johnson imagined it as sort of a a way to empower the regular dire- voters dire- yeah um, direct democracy yeah, yeah. and and, and I mean in some ways it does but um, yeah it but, does but it's just that we are not able especially now with disorder. Really, to yeah. understand all the nuances, some of the well, it's, last yeah, ballot I mean, issues were like, uh, yeah. you know, something to do with the administration of dialysis clinics, and how yeah, are we supposed done, to? We voted on that. We voted on that twice in the past few years. Um, you know, uh, stem cell research, uh, um, bail reform. Uh, you know, there's there's just all kinds of um, marijuana, you know, very detailed. Hmm? Marijuana. Yeah. I mean, marijuana is one you could, you know, sort of some of them you could see uh, there being really strong popular opinions about. But when you get to something like stem cell research or 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 dialysis uh, labor issues, uh, you know, I it's it's not the sort of thing that the average voter has a really strong opinion about or a strong base of knowledge uh, about and then you wonder if they get that signature gathering for a petition you know even then you're going to need at least a million or more on pretty much every election to get on the ballot at a dollar each average a million bucks or whatever that's a lot of money. Yeah, and there's a, there's a whole people that are putting that. Uh, yeah, yeah, putting those on the ballots are good at disguising their true intentions behind some wall of, you know, self some you know earnest uh, do gooding. So it's really like, yeah. What what? Much. I, you know, I mean, I think one one thing where you can really um, sort of take issue with with the Democrats who who run this state have run it for for quite a while now and have almost insurmountable majorities in um, in the legislature is you know you just take the recall for example. Um, you know, they've spent a lot of time tinkering with the law, the recall laws for, for political advantage, but they haven't done anything as far as um, wholesale reform of the process. And it's, it's been clear for a long time that this is a, you know, it's a miserable 
collection of, of laws and a miserable way to run an election. And, and, and the Democrats uh, who are in charge know that, um, but they haven't done anything about it. Um, and, any, and it's one of the, it's one of the few that. big issues they haven't done anything about. What's that? I said, does anybody. Seems like a sensible reform or does it never get beyond the calm? Nothing's ever been put before a committee. What's, what's going on? Anything there? I, I haven't, I don't know of a really broad, you do hear experts and academics say, you know, that, that this, this thing needs to be reformed. I, I don't know of a piece of legislation that has really gotten traction that, that, that addresses the real flaws. And one of which is, you know, obviously the the threshold is too low for the recall. Obviously, the way that you know we run a replacement election at the same time in which you know in which almost anybody can enter and almost and and someone can win with far less than than the official uh, facing the recall. Um, you know, those are all really glaring problems uh, that have existed uh since uh hiram johnson's time and yeah um, not no, happened after whenever 1910 or whenever we got those in till 2003 so it that's was, a good point i mean there there are local i mean there are a lot of local uh um, recalls you, you know there are other offices that are subject to recall and 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 have faced them but yeah the first gubernatorial recall to make the ballot um and succeed was uh of gray davis in 2003 that's right and then so uh, yeah why is that i'm not sure uh, you know there i mean i think gray davis had his you know there were very particular uh uh facets to that particular recall um but yeah there's also you know i you could argue that there's sort of an increasing polarization that might be fueling um, the constant, you know, the, the success of these things. Yeah. That didn't seem to be there before, at least not on the yeah. governor level, yeah. which uh, yeah. I think, you know, there was a greater part. I mean, 1910s people, typical election, 70 to 80%. And uh, yeah. I also think that. Told higher if there was, and then Phil, yeah. uh, uh, now this this about set it just seems perfectly sensible. There should be opportunity. Yeah, well, and there's, there's going to be things that because of the threshold is relatively low. It's the problem is. Or you, companies, big egg, uh, oil, everybody, resources to, you know, do some kind of uh, mischief, and that's that's the yeah. Problem. I mean, there's a whole professional signature gathering industry, and yeah, I would be hard pressed to name uh, uh, an initiative that wasn't, you know, either on the ballot because of some very well-funded special interest or 
or, you know, or political, you know, politicians themselves sometimes can, can get things on the ballot. The legislature can, um, but, um, yeah. And as far as the recall goes, Hiram Johnson envisioned it as something that would hardly need to be used. It would just be sort of a, uh, you know, he called it a, a, a pistol in the hands of the people and, and just knowing they had it would keep everybody in line. And it ended up being pretty rare for the first, I think, several decades of its existence. But it, it got, as time went on, it's gotten more and more common to see there have been more recall attempts. And, and now you're seeing more actually make the ballot. Yeah, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger slipped in three with pretty good and then he got himself reelected but he, there was many recall attempts but none of them ever got on a ballot for him right it's it, it is every governor kind of faces several of them these days uh in you know recent recent uh administrations it's it's kind of a constant um constant attempts it is uh you spend a lot of time in sacramento don't you do you walk the halls? Let me. I'm I'm curious about what I spend is a lot of time writing about it. Here, you spend a lot of time in the newsroom, consulting with the other editors and reporters on what they're covering. How do you how do you craft a, an editorial? Where does that? How, tell me about that process. I'm curious. Um, I don't spend a lot of time in the newsroom lately. I don't think most most people have at, at the Chronicle uh, ever since uh, the lockdowns. But um, I, I do um, read voraciously. Um, I don't I don't consult directly with people on the news side, but I, you know, I, I do read their reporting and I do a lot of my own reporting and and we have discussions, you know, among the members of the opinion staff and the editorial board. And, and that's how we, we, we typically reach a consensus on what our views are. Now, uh, you used to cover a lot of water issues. Do uh, Frank Gerke to get the latest uh, snowfall <laughs> reports? The Golki. You know, I think he retired. He retired just a couple years ago. I don't know if you I was saw shocked that, that he was still on the job. People don't know yeah. this guy who was about as affable. Just, you know, did earnest public servant. Yeah. You, you never want to meet. He yeah. really segmented his economy with the water projections and allotments and draws and how much snowpack there was and how much the. The California Aqueduct project was going to get versus the, you know, pumping over Edmonton Station into all the water. That guy was the one that literally had his finger on the tap. It was really something. Yeah, his, 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 he's just one of those hidden heroes. Very closely watched. Yeah. 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 And he was a, a very, uh, he was a delightful guy, very easy to talk to. <laughs> and you were the first person who, who, you know, had me, uh, calling him. And, and of course it was entertaining that I was Golki and he was Kirky and Uma um, Oprah, but Uma Oprah, Oprah, Uma. <laughs> exactly. Golki, Kirky, exactly, yeah. Kirky, Golki. Killed, killed, killed. killed. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 
you know, I, I have, I have written recently about the drought and just how, you know, how extreme and obvious it is. And, and, um, uh, Newsom is kind of delayed, uh, certain, uh, drought restrictions, like a lot of other things, you know, this, this election has kind of put everything on hold and, and, and the governor has been cautious about doing anything that's going to get too much attention policy wise until, until the, uh, the election is safely behind him. So yeah, he's going to have a big, big celebration if he succeeds. Yeah. Celebration if he succeeds at yeah, French I, Laundry. I do, no asks. Yeah. Quite. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the polls seem to indicate that he could survive, but there's so much, you know, the whole system of polling in flux. I think a lot of it is just mischief, mischief makers. They just, you know, these, these, uh, types, when they get a pollster on the line, they will tell them all kinds of bullshit and it doesn't many uh, tricksters to skew polls. So, I mean, as we've witnessed. Yeah. I think from my understanding, part of the problem with polling is it's getting harder to just even get, it's really get good. certain people on the phone and, and, you know, get them to, to talk to you at all. And, uh, if you're a pollster, so, um, yeah, you have to take every poll with a with a huge uh, caveat, I think. And um, yeah, the polls here yeah. are kind of close. Got to adjust them somehow. Pardon? They're too yeah, yeah too I close for comfort. Yeah, he seems to have a narrow lead. It's not as not as big as it was when he when he you know, hurried up the election. Uh, but he, he seems to have a narrow lead, but yeah, they're, they're definitely worried and definitely trying to get through to Democrats that, Hey, uh, this is a Wake big up. deal. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's a really, I mean, forget about, you know, forecasting a, a presidential election where you have all this history and all, you know, all this, um, all these different ways of figuring out what's going on. Um, you know, forecasting an election like this is really tough. Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in a, a poll that, you know, shows one person winning by a few points. That's, you know, who knows what, <laughs> where that's going to go. Margin of error, in a low turnout election like this. And, the shaky so. polls themselves, and I mean, I've I just like it's going to. be. It is, yeah. yeah. I I think it could be, it could be, and and I think it could also like, you know, I I think it could surprise everybody, you know, the other way. It could end up being not that close. I, I think it's just really hard to to tell. With yeah, if like if there's a last minute surge of enthusiasm by Democrats that realize that this is way closer than it should be that, you know, get him, yeah, get him also, across the line. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, yeah, people have their ballots, but we're also like, 
you know, a lot of people have yet to really pay attention to this. It's summer and it, it's just, you know, I, I think you have to wonder about the polls for that reason too. Just, yeah, you know, we've got being basically three weeks. And, yeah. Which is a long time in, in a fast moving yeah. political yeah. scene like this. So who knows? Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, when we worked together, it used to be my uh, music. Uh, uh, I used to like you mentioned. Uh, do you recall Husker Du? Well, I do recall that was uh, Craig Kilborn, uh, right? Um, I, I know so. a guy here who manages Bob on the road, still performing, performing, and he worked with Paul Westerberg oh, for yeah. the replacement. I mean, this guy is really, really he's wow. worked all the way up until like Arcade Fire. Is he from, is he from Minnesota? Because I think both those guys are from both of them from, from Minnesota. Right? He's not. He's yeah. actually yeah. from San Antonio, Texas. Okay, into that, that world, world. That world of indie rock, progressive or indie rock, particularly, is not not that big. But mostly, he worked with yeah. and one rabbit coat for rabbit fur coat. Um, Jen, Jennifer Lewis, Jenny Lewis, who I just adore. Oh, so he's she's like, great. yeah, but a lot of new stuff now. Well, I got into a mic. Um, electronic oh, yeah. act. Yeah. 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 Songs. Um, not to be, I'm t not the least bit ashamed to say that Taylor Swift's last two albums are phenomenal. She's really taken it to a new level. She's working with the guys from the national. It's basically, you know, Matt Beringer's doing all the baritone to her soprano. Mm -hmm. And it's the, I'm trying to remember Aaron Dressner, there's doing all the mm -hmm. arrangements. So if you're looking mm -hmm. for now, it's my turn to give you some musical yeah. curation. I, I love, I love the national, but yeah, Taylor Swift, you're, you're definitely out of my element now. I have, I have no Yeah. Idea that's the first it. crossover that of that sort that I've actually liked, except for, you know, Kylie Minogue with Nick cave. That was pretty awesome. I don't know if you heard that one back in the nineties, they did a old Australian folk. Uh -huh. Kylie Minogue singing with against Nick Cave. <laughs> wow. But anyway, T-Swizz cool, and the National Odd pairing, but I feel like it worked. A lot of those don't, you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another wow. group I started to get into is the whole Odd Future Collective because Tyler, the creator, is one of my neighbors. He lives here in Ojai. He bought a okay. house here. I never see him. But he, you know, they, they come from wherever, not Gardena, but Hawthorne area down there. And that's where I print. So a lot of those, like John Booth was my pre-press tech and we are pretty close. And he's Kendrick Lamar's cousin. And I'm just like, wow, that must be weird. <laughs> and these guys, it's a small world down there. Like the one guy that put all those worlds together was Nipsey Hussle. And you know how oh, yeah. that how that turned out for him. He was a real community activist, and I always I was trying to get to meet him because you know I support the economy of South Central in my small way with the printing. And I thought maybe right. these people know that everybody knows everybody down there, but it never happened. And it's never going to happen now. The strong uh, economic connections between uh, Ojai and South Central. I know <laughs> straight out of Ojai, man. <laughs> 
I know you guys are keeping it real there. So <laughs> this is this is like an, they'd say in England, it's Ponzi. They're a bunch of poncers. Or the Buddhists, <laughs> oh, they say. That reminds me, I watched that movie uh, in which they use that term, uh, uh, With Noel and I. You watched uh, With Noel and I? Yeah, I did. I watched well, it. Well, recently? Day. Yeah, the other day on your recommendation. And it was it was fantastic. I, uh, You've never seen that before? No, no, I had never seen it. And I. Oh, I wow. I mean, Richard Grant, unbelievable. Edified. Yeah. It's incredible. It's such a great movie. Oh my God. It was, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I highly recommend that film, especially if you're just looking for some just fun, you don't, you, you know, the Hotel Rwanda, I know you got on, on, on wait, watch list and you know, you got to watch it, but with <laughs> Nail and I watch that first, just so, you know, you don't get too bummed out. <clears throat> Although that movie it, does it, have it many, much darkness, much elements, darkness in it. Yeah, yeah, it has it has some some poignant you know moments, but yeah, it, it's hilarious. Yeah, I just uh, like to see a follow up to that. It'd be interesting. It was yeah. it was fantastic. The other movie that I told you about, <clears throat> Pig, with Nicolas Cage. I'm really I'm preaching that one to everyone. I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I will. Yeah, send me a note when you watch it because I will. I think Nick. Nick Cage is always watchable, even in crap. He's done so many crappy movies. He's just broke all the time between oh, ex-wives yeah. and the he's, IRS. He's yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he'll, <clears throat> but this movie, never heard of this director, John Sarnowski. It uh -huh. looks so mature. Like this guy just has every angle, every shot, everything's lit perfectly. There's not a wasted dialogue in there. Mm -hmm. The storylines are compelling. But it's really like an extended meditation on grief, and just to just to see Nick Cage go through those, and not just him, but uh, Adam Arkin is his the antagonist, mm -hmm. and you know this the way that everybody comes together around those those ideas and how they deal with it. Nick Nick Cage, not to give too much away, he's a truffle hunter. He gave up a career as a as a prominent uh, chef to because well you've got to check it out so there are no like uh it doesn't involve founding documents or conspiracy theories yeah the the fourth copy of the declaration <laughs> of independence <laughs> it sounds there, prompt. yeah yeah and it's just eminently watchable cool. so anyway i know you've been very generous with your time and it was great to catch up and we should do this again soon oh it was uh, a pleasure anytime yeah, and I wanted to finish with this. You know, there's the San Francisco-LA rivalry. And I've sure. uh, been going on for decades. You're People in LA have never heard of it, but yeah. It's really <laughs> yes, big. I know. It's, like, it's very big yeah. in San Francisco. It's kind of like the yeah. US-Canada rivalry that, that Americans yeah, we're have barely never heard aware of, of, but Canadians are obsessed with. <laughs> well, those assholes are taking over America with their Tim Hortons. <laughs> back back to uh, my hometown in western New York, and they're everywhere yeah. now. You can't go yeah, well, around a corner without finding a Tim Hortons. Well, deservedly so. I mean, you know, it's it's it's, it's a, a lot beachhead. Dunkin' Donuts. It's true, but it's a <laughs> beachhead for some kind of invasion. I think it's nefarious. <laughs> but you know what? If they take over our country while we're not paying attention, then more power to them. 
I think I might welcome them with open arms the way things yeah. are going lately. <laughs> I remember, uh, you know, kinder, gentler nation back with like Bush the first. And oh, we yeah. said, we already got that. It's called Canada. <laughs> it is. It is largely. Uh, yeah, it does seem kinder and gentler in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I was going to read this uh, quote from Hiram Johnson about uh, Los Angeles and specifically represented in the character of the owner and publisher of Times, Harrison Gray mm -hmm. Otis, mm -hmm. who said, in the city of San Francisco, we have had vile officials. We have had rotten newspapers, but we have had nothing so vile, nothing so low, nothing so debased as Harrison Gray Otis. <laughs> He sits there in senile dementia with gangrene heart and rotting brain, grimacing at every reform, chattering impotently at all things decent, frothing, fuming, violently gibbering. He is one thing that all California looks at when, in looking at Southern California, they see anything that is disgraceful, depraved, corrupt, and putrescent. That, dear sirs, is Harrison Gray Otis. <laughs> I mean, how come nobody writes like that anymore? But I love I'm putting that out there for you, so you I, can. Didn't put he in add that. at the end? I, but I love the sports coverage. It's really, really good. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> in the entertainment section. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that that's an amazing quote, and I, I guess it it's not. I mean, from what I know about Hiram Johnson, it's not atypical he was kind of a, a pugilistic uh uh angry kind of politician in a lot of ways and bare knuckles <laughs> yeah, yeah he was he was um uh and it, it's funny too because um one of the, the uh most prominent uh and apparently successful replacement candidate in in the recall that we owe to hiram johnson uh today is uh Larry Elder, who has been just viciously going after uh, journalists, um, sometimes, uh, you know, in, in some cases, uh, based on very little, just kind of has made a spectacle of... Uh, oh, of, it plays uh, to the base. Yeah, it's easy yeah, to get exactly, people whipped up, exactly. the enemies of the people, exactly. and the fifth yeah. columnist in the fourth estate. And <laughs> exactly, yeah. Although he probably yeah. doesn't go quite that literary with his allusions to the, but no, it uh, it he is been. he has got people. There's a very sneaky element. I see a lot of people I know that are writing in that are going for yes on recall and yes on Larry Elder. So I will wow. I will be shocked but not surprised if he ends up being our next governor. It would be. Uh, Probably not a great idea, as far as I can tell. But yeah, it, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Not even, not even close to out of the realm. So um, watch it, out, it, California. Yeah, people ought to uh, pay attention to for sure. All right. Well, uh, Josh, that's that's been wonderful, and I'll let you go. And uh, all right. Good luck on your next gig, and we'll check in Thanks. soon. And. Yeah. It's always something to talk about in California. Yeah, thank Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brad. It's been a pleasure. All right, Josh. All right. Bye. Just thinking out loud, the biggest danger to any represented democracy like ours isn't fascism or authoritarianism, but apathy. 
Apathy is a sickness that allows bad things to happen. It undermines the system from within and creates bad incentives for bad actors to take over and force their will on the majority. Sadly, we've seen it happen in once thriving democracies like Poland, Hungary, and now, fingers crossed, doesn't happen here in California. In any event, please get out your ballots or show up at your polling place on September 14th. The dark forces don't win unless we let them.